0: Hey everyone, welcome back to all my listeners. Now I hope you're all having a great day so far. And if it's your first time finding me, thanks so much and welcome. Welcome to another day of Paint the Medical Picture podcast. Now this is episode 17 of season six. Today is Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. My name is Sonal Patel, and this is the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. Now, all right, you guys, I hope everyone is seeing those yellow little school buses around your neighborhoods. I know I am. It's that time already, right? School is back in session. Colleges are starting up again. And summer holiday for all those youngsters is just gone. Gone, gone, gone. But it's always a great reminder for all of us young, and older, that there are always new chapters and new opportunities, new lessons to be learned, and new achievements to be made. Now, I've got so much to get into today, and in my compliance tip today, I'm going to try and get us all back to basics on modifiers. And today's Newsworthy features my very fabulous return guest, Karen Weintraub. I'm going to roll out that red carpet so happily for her once again and I'm going to close out today's episode with some inspirational words on vision and leadership from Vicki Saunders. If you've checked me out on LinkedIn, you know I'm all about compliance and protecting our physicians and valued healthcare professionals when it comes to the business of medicine. I hope this week with me, brings you enough to take back to your organizations, to want to dive in deeper, to use my tips and best practices to ensure success. I hope this podcast will help you boost the quality of documentation capture and improve coding accuracy as you help all of your providers paint the medical picture. If you like what you're hearing, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss another episode. Please write in a review and kindly drop me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to my podcast, I'd really love your support. And as always, a friendly disclaimer remember, I'm bringing you the news, current healthcare industry news, my compliance tips and my recommendations based on my over 12 years of experience in front office, in back end, in coding, and in billing for multi specialty physicians, in compliance, and in auditing for both EM and surgical operative reports. Remember, And these are my opinions alone and are not to be construed as legal advice. So let's get into Newsworthy. Now, I can't believe I am going to be welcoming my good friend, Karen Weintraub back onto the podcast. Hey, Karen, it's so good to see you today. Welcome back.
1: Hey, good morning. Yes, happy to see you and speak to you. Uh, It's been a while and it's been kind of a a crazy year it's just flying by hope you're doing well
0: hasn't it been oh well yeah there's been tons of ups and downs right throughout the year that we have to navigate but yes it's always good talking to old friends and bringing them back for all their insights here so it's so good it's so good to be with you
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So, what do what do you want to chat about today? I know we always have uh, some good chats, and we can probably talk about almost any topic. So, <laughs> exactly. I, yeah, we we'll just we we'll just kind of wing it today.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell my audience about what you've been up to in terms of, you know, things have been coming back to normal, quote unquote, even though we are technically in a PHE status right through the end of October but I wanted to know you know have you had opportunity at all to travel um have you had opportunity to speak at conferences again give live webinar sessions um, anything like that in terms of um, helping providers and people like me just understand more about uh, what, Healthcare Fraud Shield does in terms of providing tools and analytics for providers
1: and practices
0: to help, you know, boost their protection levels.
1: Sure. Uh, So we've definitely been traveling uh, in in 2022. We've gone to many conferences uh, and, you know, our typical audience is really, uh, it's more the payer side so you know, we're really trying to help the payers identify potential fraud, waste, abuse, and errors. Um, you know, and of course That's that right. that trickles down to the providers mm-hmm. and, and educating them as well. Uh, but yeah, no, we've we've gone to many conferences this year. Some in person, mm-hmm. um, some have been virtual. I'm starting to see. A lot more coming back to the in person, and some are doing a hybrid. So I think it'll be interesting to see what 2023 brings. Uh, I think some organizations are seeing some benefits to to both, you know, both um, you know companies with budgets and financially, you know, maybe easier for some of them to send folks virtually. Uh, so it's it, it's going to be interesting. But uh, you, you know, I've 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 always enjoyed um, that circuit. You know, there's something that you get out of meeting people in person and, you know, obviously, you know, accounting for precautions and everything and, you know, and and things are shifting a little bit, you know, CDC just lifted, uh, lifted their Mm -hmm. their guidelines so um, yeah I think we're going to see a lot more of that but yeah I mean we've, we've been doing both conferences as a a vendor um, doing presentations both in person and virtually, uh, and you know, it's one of the things that we love to do is just be a part of education. Both, you know, learning ourselves as well as providing as much as mm-hmm. much as we can. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to to that normalcy, I'm starting to see that more and more. So that that makes me happy.
0: Exactly. Well, that's that sounds wonderful. That sounds perfect, right? Um, that you've had that ability to actually network, meet more people, right? Face-to-face and give the kind of um, products and deliverables that you guys are known for. So kudos. And it's about time, right? This uh, PHE, this whole pandemic has been exhausting. So yeah, I know all of us are, (laughs) right? (laughs) Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Now in, in terms of, you know, you have a bird's eye view of Trends that are going on, things that you are seeing that are, you know, the old hats. We've seen it time and time again, but they, you know, these fraudsters have a new twist on on something, right? So, can you share what you've seen in terms of any types of new COVID nineteen um, fraud schemes or things that are kind of Wonky in the space that you've been seeing. I'd like to hear yeah. some more about that.
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting. Uh, you know, just as you kind of follow what you see in the typical health health stats as far as what's going on in in the the country and the world, um, most of the data, the trends for the testing are following that. So you're actually in the last couple of months, you're starting to see more of a decline in just overall COVID testing. Um, you know, and and covid related services. But there are still some, um for a variety of reasons, whether legitimate or not, um, some still to be determined. There are still some that are inappropriately billing, um, you know the the volume of tests mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. um you know, the freak, you know the frequency of tests. Um, some are inappropriately billing um, services simultaneously that we're still seeing that really hasn't um, totally dissipated. Um, And there's some ancillary codes as well that have, that are typically inappropriately being billed to kind of pad the bills a little bit from Mm -hmm. some specimen collection and, and um, some uh, travel codes as well. But of course, all of that is dependent upon, um, you know, each plan, each policy, each line of business. So folks always need to check and to check to see if their policies have changed because some of the policies have, um, you know. Um, eased up a little bit over the years as far as, you know, what it was the very early on during um, COVID and and today. So always recheck what your policies allow for and what they don't. But um, yeah, I mean, things still don't, they don't totally disappear. They just, they start to shift. So as the dollars go down for some of the the folks that tend to engage in more suspect behavior, they -hmm. just start to switch a little bit because the COVID trends are down. So okay. they'll start to look for other services to incorporate into their billing or other types of tests. Um, now we haven't seen it yet, but um, we have some analytics already out there regarding monkeypox. You know, uh, oh, just wow, to be, already. Wow. Just great. to be prepared for mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. Uh, just like we were for COVID. Uh, but I'm not seeing not seeing much in that area yet. Okay. Uh, but we say yet because you know one of the things that you are always trying to do in this world is anticipate what's new and emerging. Um, and there's two different ways to do that. One um, is you look for things that are potentially emerging based on just you know your knowledge of the industry. Um, and that's typically done through kind of more targeted analytics. And then on the flip side, we use our artificial intelligence to kind of tell us what we don't know that we should be looking for. So, we really take kind of a dual approach to make sure that we're capturing and potentially identifying, you know, whatever's out there so we don't miss anything. If that that makes sense. sense. Yeah. That
0: makes sense. That's amazing. I love hearing that you guys are already on top of the monkeypox, right? That's amazing. Um, I also liked your reminder that we need to be, um, you know, more aware of individual payer policies, right? When we're reviewing claims that go out the door. Absolutely true because yeah, it's been three years, right? And a lot of commercial payer policies have changed and varied and fluctuated from each quarter, right? In terms of what they accept, what is acceptable to send out for the COVID-19 testing. Um, Just, just a quick uh, off the cuff Thought that I've had. Remember, early on, there was so much overcoding in terms of that respiratory panel CPT code. Do you yep. still see that being used at all, or are there, you know, um, since it's now the third year, are there now better edits in in play on the payer end to sort of halt that larger uh, respiratory panel code from actually being paid out?
1: Uh, yes. And yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, so it, the, the code is still being used. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I definitely think it's it's evened out a little bit. Edits have definitely gotten better. Uh, you know, one thing I still see um, some plans depending on, you know, Their claim systems and how if they've upgraded them or not, and some are a little bit more modern than others, there can still be some some hiccups or some things that get through, Uh, but I, I, I do think that the edits have gotten a better, especially around this area just because it's been such a focus for the plans for the last couple of years. Uh, But we do see some of that testing um, and we do, you know, it's, it's more expensive tests. So, you know, we obviously, it's one of the things that we, that we looked at from the get-go is looking at who's billing the more expensive tests versus, you know, the other tests that maybe are more appropriate. So we're still monitoring that, but I would say it's not as prevalent as it, as it was.
0: Okay, good. (laughs) That's very good news. Good. Um, All right. So what about, let's take a little shift here. What about, you know, you and I both know, um, the, uh, misunderstanding and misuse of our modifiers. Yeah. And we know that, um, just a few days ago on August 13th, right. Cigna was supposed to come out with that new modifier 25, uh, reimbursement policy that, Basically, wanted to be a prepayment type of a thing, right? They wanted you to send in your medical records each and every time with that ENM code and the modifier twenty-five. But I wanted to ask you if you're still seeing um, on your end the the volume of that particular modifier being just misused.
1: Absolutely fair question, uh, and I have not read the the latest on what the um, what policy they were trying to put out. Um, so I'm gonna have to go back and read read the. I was tr- well, as you know, I was traveling. You week, were traveling, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, you know, it, it's interesting. So modifier 25, I think, is is it's always been the modifier everyone talks about. And, yes. you know, one year it's, I don't want to talk about modifier 25 anymore. I've had enough of it. Okay. The next year is, Oh, we really need to keep looking at modifier 25. And it's just been a cyclical, uh-huh. um, you know, part of what we do. So I don't think it'll ever, ever, ever go away. Um, but yet, to, I mean, the short answer is yes, it is still an issue. It, and, 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 to be fair to all the folks in this industry, both providers and payers, sometimes it's just misunderstood.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, I think people just misunderstand the overall uses of it, but it is commonly abused. Uh, okay. And the challenge, I would say, having worked at a payer many years ago, I think the challenge is um, anytime you want to implement any kind of edit like that um, or a policy where you want to um you know start to have records submitted uh, on on a you know 100% basis for 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 that i mean the volume that you're going to be dealing with the potential appeals that could go with it um could really create uh, a burden on you know on the health system um so i think it's something to be really mindful of so i, I don't want to discourage anyone from monitoring and and you know putting some folks on a prepayment review because i'm sure there's probably several providers that, you know, maybe that should absolutely be monitored prepayment, but at 100% for all your claims, I think that's that potentially could be a challenge, um, you know, just for all involved. Um, so I've, I've seen that before. I'm not saying it's a good idea or a bad idea. I just think there can be some challenges that go along with it. Uh, but it's still, it, you know, the reason I'm sure that people are looking into it, it's still just a highly abused modifier. Um, but it's not the only one, you know, it's just the one that just people it's, right. it's know most often.
0: Right. It really does stick out like a sore thumb from time to time, right? And these uh, commercial payers want to try and implement these reimbursement policy changes every couple of years. Some some of them take effect, some of them don't, and they go away. But I, on my end, right, of developing provider education, I, you know, on the flip side of things, um, to play the devil's advocate, I I also think it might be a good idea, right, for providers to realize that they need to look a little closer and understand better, right, what actually warrants and supports that modifier 25. Um because sometimes, you know, when you, when you work with providers, it's not um, necessarily that they're just slapping it on every time because they think they can get more reimbursement. It's because they don't understand how to carve out that separate problem in the I EMR am. that the patient is also addressing. So it's something outside other distinct, um, you know, separately identifiable than what they've actually come in for, so you know I think there's still a lot more work that needs to be done in terms of provider education, also to make sure they don't, um, you know, stay on the target list for these multiple payers in the field. So
1: yeah, yeah, I yeah. totally agree. A lot of it is education. I'm sure you you mentioned about the EMRs, and I wonder how much of it is. Um, the design, you know, by clicking somewhere on the, you know, a different yeah. diagnosis, it could mm-hmm. drive someone maybe to unintentionally mark things in a way that the system prompts them. Hey, maybe this really is separate, and 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 they're thinking, oh, maybe you're right, maybe it is. Right. Um. So you know, and I know all of the systems work a little bit differently, and I'm sure that requires some education and training as well. Uh, Absolutely. But, but I think mm-hmm. that can be a part of it too, is, mm-hmm. is this, you know, this point and click system versus, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and, and for, you know, there's good reasons, obviously it saves time. Uh, I know I go to the doctor, they walk around with their tablets, with and, their, you know, with yeah. their pen. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Uh, but you know, they the, 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 you know, in the old days it was, you know, pen and paper. So it was yeah. much more, um, distinguishable, exactly. uh, because they were handwriting everything and, and yes. obviously that was time consuming. So I'm time not consuming.
0: That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I celebrate the EMR. It's a wonderful sure. thing, right? It does um, reduce the time burden and time constraints on our providers, right? We want them to be spending time with the patients, right? Not with their note taking. Um, but yeah, the EMRs are complicated. They're all unique, each and every one how they're set up is different, how you're trained to utilize the EMR is different. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I really do think it takes, it takes good, good people on the provider's end to make sure that that training, um, is really, really thorough. Right. And the EMR is built kind of created and built specifically for that practice. So it's not so cookie cutter, right? It has to be more individualized and not just an out of the box EMR. And it's gonna work for my um, you know, um, uh, behavioral health practice, the same way it's gonna work for a, um, let's say cardiology practice, right? Like things have to be utilized differently from practice to practice. Right. And I don't and necessarily think that's the case because we have all of these issues that continue to happen.
1: I totally agree. And, and just thinking about that from kind of the inverse, even from like a, a fraud, waste and abuse vendor perspective, it really is the same philosophy. Every payer is different. Every provider within the payer's organization is different. So you have to treat the analytics differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have to, because otherwise you're going to be you know, you know, one of the biggest complaints that over the years people are, you know, when it comes to analytics is, you know, false positives. Well, that's because you need to think of all of these scenarios and how each, you know, provider practice and each specialty and each contract and each payer policy varies to account for all these things, to mitigate um, and minimize all of these false positives, to have analytics analytics produce the best results possible. Um, So you really, you know, you can't treat every payer's data the same, just like Mm -hmm. every provider. um, It shouldn't be treated the same. So it really is very similar.
0: Well said. Yes, we have to be sensitive to the differences, right? I love that. I love that.
1: That makes perfect
0: sense to me. And I like hearing that you say that, that even, even on the payer side, things are sensitive. Things are individualized. It can't be all of the same type of analytics from practice to practice that is being, you know, dumped in. Exactly. I like that.
1: Yep. Love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it, Karen. Love it, Karen. Well, you know. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No. No. You know, I uh, we love this. We love doing what we do. We so. <laughs> love doing what we do.
0: Absolutely. All the nitty gritty. All the nuances. That's what we like to talk about. Right. It's not just this one one size fits all type of mentality. And that's what uh, people like you and I like to talk about. We like to really get into the specifics of things. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Now. Yeah. I I just wanted to transition into your. Um, team over there. From time to time, I really enjoy reading when you guys send out what your coders write about. Um, They're absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And they give me more insight as well on what you guys see is going on in terms of trends.
1: I'm going to pull up some of our recent ones. Uh, So I know we write up... we. Yeah. So we, uh, I don't want to say we stick to an exact schedule. You're really great about having an exact schedule on your podcast.
0: (laughs) Well, I I try
1: try. to try. I'm sure I'm going to miss a couple episodes or two, but (laughs) you know, (laughs) well, we just did, what was our last one? Um, We just did one on um, modifier Q6. Um, So for the traveling physicians, we wrote an article about prepay, about cognitive assessments, acetaminophen toxicity, uh, and they're approximately once a month, um, probably Mm -hmm. due for an August one. Uh, But basically, you know, one of the things that we do is we look at, you know, either just topics that we're seeing pop up in data or something new uh, that we want to address or kind of, you know, maybe resurface. Uh, sometimes just like modifier 25, things are cyclical and, you know, it's important to revisit um, what's happening in something that you may be looked at five, 10 years ago. Um, so, so yeah, we, we do, um, you know, and of course, you know, w- along with these articles, you know, we, we do as much education as possible. And I have, mm-hmm. it's always been our philosophy. It's um, both personally and professionally. It just it's. Um, you know, we're not here to just take all the information and keep it for ourselves. We're here to just right. help the industry. So
0: exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, that's so perfectly said. That's what we're here to do, right? Is to disseminate the information. We don't want to be selfish and just hoard it for ourselves. What good is that going to do all of us in this particular space, right? So that's why I like to bring on all of my talented guests like Karen, because I am not any expert in this field fraud, the analytics, right? So I simply love to bring people like you on who can help the audience understand a greater perspective of what's going on on the payer side, right? Because I know more about the provider side, but folks like you can help me understand much, much more what's going on on the payer end and what they want to see, right? Um, And what they are seeing and then how I can go back to the provider side right and help educate them more on what not to do right to stay out of hot water so i'd love it
1: yeah love no it, absolutely and i always felt like and you know we've talked about this before payers and providers um they're not they're not enemies mm-hmm. uh you know mm-hmm. they really need to be working together to understand mm-hmm. just how to do things correctly
0: exactly absolutely right it's all about communication conversations right and all of that can happen throughout the Entire career of the provider, so yeah, absolutely awesome, Karen. Yeah. Awesome. So, what have we missed today? What other um topics do you think you have a moment to touch on before you have to go?
1: Yeah, um, you no, know, I mean, the, the you know, the only other things, um, just we're always working on new new initiatives, new ways to combat potential fraud, waste, and abuse. So, uh, we've been really excited. Um, just recently, we uh well, actually, really more last year, but um, just talking about it a little bit more. We we've been doing what we call shared analytics. So basically, you know, taking the data from multiple clients and analyzing across multiple data sets. Um, of course, all de identified and and you know, um everything is is done securely um, and nothing is shared amongst amongst the clients. But um, it's been really exciting because we have access to so much data. And we can do things in a, in a closer to real time um, mm. way of analyzing this de- these data sets together. So it's been really interesting because what companies would not see normally in their own data, they're seeing the benefits of the analytics across all the data. So that's, that's been um, one of the most exciting things I think we've been working on recently.
0: So exciting and so beneficial, right?
1: That's yeah, incredible. Absolutely. That's
0: a great new initiative. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing that you guys can, can, can do that. See like, and that's where the, the nerd in me comes out. Like, that's amazing <laughs> that you can do that.
1: Yes, yeah, so well, we we're, we're, we're all, we're all nerds then because we love it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> love it. I love it, Karen. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I always learn so much when I have conversations with you, it's unbelievable. So I hope you can come back again and again and share Absolutely. your wealth of knowledge with me and my audience because I know folks eat this stuff up in our space. So thank you well, so you, much.
1: You know, if we lived closer, we'd be doing this at a coffee shop. We'd be something. doing this at, so, I
0: know, yeah. I know. <laughs> if I could only be on the East Coast every, every week, I would be there having coffee. <laughs> talking about this every day. You'd be a guest every week. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, Karen, thank you so much for all of your time today. I totally appreciate it.
1: Thank you. It was always nice chatting with you and looking forward to doing it again.
0: Absolutely. I'll see you next time.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: And now it's time for my best practice tips in trusty tip. So in today's new back-to-basics compliance tip, I wanted to go over modifiers. Remember, a modifier simply provides a little extra information about the medical procedure, the service, or the supply involved without changing the meaning of the CPT or HCPCS code. Now, of course, the best place, in my opinion, to to review your modifiers is in the AMA's CPT manual. Now, the CPT manual provides these additional examples of when a modifier may be appropriate, like if the service or procedure that has both professional and technical components, or if there's more than one provider who performed the service or the procedure, or there happens to be more than one location that was involved, or there's a service or a procedure that was increased or it was reduced in comparison to what the code typically requires, or what the code is typically defined as. And then if the procedure happens to be bilateral. And then finally, if the service of the procedure was provided to the patient more than one time. Now, all of the CPT modifiers are found in Appendix A of the CPT code book. Now, of course, be mindful, our new CPT manual for 2023 should be being printed right around now as I'm delivering this podcast session. So we should be expecting it on our doorsteps in maybe end of September or October timeframe. Like we get them every year, year after year. I know we all get very excited. So I expect the CPT modifiers to remain the same in Appendix A. So when you get yours, of course, brush off all that snow when you open those pages, right? All that paper dust, all that paper snow happens to fall and it falls every year when you open those new books. But I do expect the modifiers in our CPT code book to continue to be in Appendix A. Now, some of the most common ones include, of course, the big bad boy modifier 25, which I've talked about on this podcast before. I've talked about it with other colleagues on their podcasts and it's defined, again, as significant, separately identifiable evaluation and management service by the same physician or other qualified healthcare professional on the same day of the procedure or other service. Or there's modifier 26, and that is for professional component. Or, of course, another well-distinguished modifier is modifier 59, which is also distinguished because it's misused and misunderstood. It's defined as distinct procedural service. Then, of course, there are those HCPCS Level 2 modifiers that are maintained by CMS. So those are not maintained by the AMA, like for our CPT modifiers. HCPCS Level 2 modifiers are maintained by CMS. Now, examples of these modifiers include the modifier E1, for example, Which is for the upper left eyelid or there's the modifier tc which is for the technical component or there's modifier xs which is for separate structure a service that's distinct because it was performed on a separate organ a separate structure now modifiers are of course also categorized by type right not just by the ownership by the ama or by cms So they're also categorized by type. And I cannot go over everything in today's trusty tip, but like, for example, there are those modifiers that are pricing modifiers and they're also called payment impacting modifiers or reimbursement modifiers. Now, obviously that should be a given, right? These types of modifiers will affect the reimbursement on the service. And then there's also informational modifiers. Now, why don't we start with pricing modifiers? So, of course, like I said earlier, of course, it's a modifier that will cause a price change on the service line item on each and every claim. So that is a pricing modifier in general. And because of that reimbursement impact, right, it needs to be the first modifier on box 24D of the HICFA claim form. Or the CMS 1500, right? Those red claim forms. There's a box 24D that is for the modifiers, and that very first box is for the pricing modifier. So there's also happens to be a great fact sheet. You you know me and how I'm how I love to review the various MAC web pages. So there happens to be a great fact sheet by WPS for which pricing modifiers they want to see listed as the first modifier on box 24D or immediately to the right of the procedure code line item. So their examples for pricing modifiers include AA, which is for anesthesia service personally performed by the anesthesiologist. Or there's modifier AD, that's D as in dog, for medical supervision by a physician, more than four concurrent anesthesia procedures. Or there, there happens to be a modifier AS, S is in Sam, which is for assistant at surgery services provided by a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner. So that's either a PA or an NP. Then let's move on. There's also the modifier KD. That's K as in king and D as in dog and that is for drug administered through a durable medical equipment infusion pump. Then let's move on. There's modifier QK. That's Q is in queen, K is in king. For the medical direction of 2, 3 or 4 concurrent anesthesia procedures involving qualified individuals. Then we can move on to modifier QX. So that's Q is in queen, X is in x-ray, for certified registered nurse anesthetist service, with medical direction by a physician. Then we can move on to the modifier QY. So Q is in queen, Y is in yellow, for the medical direction of one CRNA by an anesthesiologist. And then there's also the modifier QZ for queen zebra, for a CRNA service without medical direction by a physician. And then there's the modifier TC. Again, T is in TOM, C is in Charlie, for the technical component. Then we can move on to the modifier 26. That stands for the professional component. Then there's the modifier 50, which is for a bilateral procedure performed at the same session on an anatomical site. Then we can move on to modifier 53. That's for a discontinued procedure only when appended to procedure codes 45378, G0105, and G0121. Then we can move on to modifier 54. This is when the surgeon is billing the surgical care only. Then we can move on to modifier 55. And this will indicate a physician other than the surgeon who is billing for part of the outpatient postoperative care or is used by the surgeon when providing only a portion of the post-discharge postoperative care. Then we can move on to modifier 62. This is for two surgeons, each in a different specialty, who are required to perform a specific procedure. Then we can move on to modifier 66, which is for a team of surgeons. Then there's modifier 73. This is for discontinued outpatient hospital or ambulatory surgery center procedure prior to the administration of anesthesia. Then there's modifier 78 which is a return to an operating room for a related procedure during the post-operative period. Then there's modifier 80, which is for assistance at surgery service is provided by a medical doctor and MD. Or there's modifier 81, which is to identify minimum surgical assistant services and is only submitted with surgery codes. Or there's there's also modifier 82, which is for assistant at surgery service provided by an MD when there is no qualified resident available. So that is the list of modifiers that WPS provides to their practitioners in their region. So I think it's fabulous. So They give this list for their pricing modifiers again, which they want to see listed as the first modifier on box 24D or the box that's immediately to the right of the procedure code line item on the CMS 1500 claim form. So that webpage also gives um, some, some footnotes and stars and asterisks that you should read more closely as well because some of those modifiers that I read to you, it says that these payment modifiers are not limited to the first position. So several of them have that footnote next to them. There's also an additional footnote that says if multiple pricing or payment modifiers are submitted, the KD modifier should be placed in the first modifier position field. So make sure when you're researching how to send claims out compliantly, you're researching your various Mac web pages for additional guidance. They're very, very helpful. Now, let's move on to informational modifiers. Now, these types of modifiers belong after the pricing modifiers on the claim, right? So, these are just some of the categories of modifiers in Back to Basics today, right? There are so many. So, you need to be mindful and dive deeper, right? And, and understand all of those NCCI modifiers that exist as well the global surgery modifiers, and all of the other modifiers that are out there that help paint the medical picture of the patient's visit, the patient's treatment service, or procedure. It's fundamental, if you have Medicare as a payer, to keep your eye on correct and compliant coding and billing practices and make sure that you are adhering to them to ensure you are meeting the medical necessity from the very start. Because when the documentation paints the medical picture with clarity, And vibrancy from the onset of care, a certified medical coder can then abstract codes with accuracy. And finally, I focus Season 6's spark on vision and leadership. I want this sixth season spark to be filled with the world's thought leaders, writers, artists, philosophers, everyone who inspires the need for vision and leadership in all we strive to do. So in this week's inspiring quote in Spark is from Vicki Saunders. Who you are surrounded by often determines who you become. Absolutely true, right? I think this quote inspires us. It reminds us that we need to surround ourselves with those that make us better. I think when we are able to be surrounded by peers, colleagues, mentors, leadership that believes in us, in our abilities, we can truly be better, do better. I am happy Vicki Saunders' spark still burns brightly in all of us today. So that wraps up today's episode. And as always, I appreciate you all diving into today with me. If you want more information from me, please go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn. I'll leave links to everything in the show notes below. All right, you guys, now in my final friendly note, right, I've got so much going on that I have to remember my own words from week to week. Take time to carve out mental health wellness space in your own lives because you cannot be your best self, serving others with purpose and passion if you're simply burned out at both ends. So please remember to have an amazing week ahead and please continue staying safe and healthy. Thank you so much for listening in on today's very special episode. And I hope every week with me brings you closer to helping your providers paint a masterpiece. See you next Wednesday.